0: What's up guys, this is Chloe Pavlik and Brandon Rhodes and you're tuned in to The Work.
1: So today we have a great interview with Ramula Ratnam. She's a change agent in the sports and entertainment industry and now she leads Impact at Endeavor. She works across athletes and celebrities to make an impact on the world and we're excited to have her on today.
0: Hey girl, welcome.
1: Hey Ramula, thanks for coming on The Work, how you doing?
0: Good, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, we're excited for today. So, you know, our pinnacle question, how we always start off, is when did you realize you were Indian?
2: So I have a very clear memory of the first time I realized that I wasn't white and, and therefore Indian. So it was when I was in third grade. I was on the playground with my friends. It wasn't really a playground, like a, a play area for recess. And they were playing Disney princesses. Everyone could choose which Disney princess they were going to be. And then they didn't let me play because there was none that I could be. And then I went home crying. And that's the part that I really remember. But then actually the part that my mom has told me happened after, which I, I don't actually remember as clearly, but she is very insistent that it happened is that she said that I was like, hey, you know that stuff that you put on the clothes to make them white. And she was like, yeah, bleach. She's like, well, can you put me in the washing machine so I can be white too? And then oh she remembers that because she started crying. And she remembers that as being one of the saddest moments of of our child of my childhood.
0: So that that is the moment. Wow. Yeah, that is it's so crazy and it's so sad. And I think the biggest thing that I take away from that too is that we all have some type of similar experience that, you know, even as grown adults, we will never forget. But also what your mom said, I feel like there's also certain things that we tuned out that we don't remember and that our parents remember and makes them extremely upset, especially when we don't wanna identify as what we are when we're younger, because they almost feel like they failed in a way that you aren't celebrating yourself and your culture. So I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. I know B and I, we have um, similar experiences. As well, and Ramla, what I do want you to talk about, though, is kind of your your upbringing and, you know, what your life was like and then how you got to where you are now. Cool.
2: Yeah, I grew up on Long Island in not it actually honestly wasn't the least diverse community. It was just pretty standard American suburb, probably, I guess not reflective of the national demographics, but, you know, probably 20 percent diverse or so, mostly white. Um, Went to, starting in about fifth grade, a very kind of privileged private school experience where the only people of color were, you know, the sons of, sons and daughters of doctors or something, and then kids that were there for for sports. So that was my first introduction to to racial dynamics, Um, and I remember being very turned off by the whole experience in terms of what it means to be a wealthy like upper class American. It was like starting even in middle school, I knew that was never something that I identified with or wanted to be. Um, But weirdly, and this will go into the career part, I always was obsessed with the NBA. Like I played NBA Jam. Um, If you go down to the playroom where I, um, me and my brother kind of spent all of our time, there's all like in the puff paint, we would put it and put all the team logos on the wall in their team colors. We like drew them. So even now it's painted over, but you still like feel like the Trailblazers logo and the Knicks. Um, so I always was really interested in sports. I ran track in high school and college. Um, and then after went to NYU and studied sports management with a dream job at the time, probably working at the Knicks or, or something like that. Um, ended up getting my first job at the NBA, worked in the sports industry for a while. Um, as Brandon knows, uh, worked on an organization, worked with an organization called the Seed Project in Senegal. Um, after the NBA, which is very focused on youth basketball development, it started as an elite program for to use, basically to help men at the time, young men who were very talented at basketball, get scholarships to come over to the States to use their basketball talent to further their education. Uh, we added a girls program and a, a number of grassroots programs to that, um, but that was my first entree kind of in the combination of my love of sports and cause and, and using sport as a platform to give back. Um, after that, I worked at UNICEF for a few years, led their sports partnerships um, and corporate partnerships as well. Um, and from there, ended up actually meeting a number of people at WME through a partnership UNICEF had with WME, and then came over uh, to Endeavor slash WME about three and a half years ago. And now I'm the Senior Vice President of Social Impact, which means we oversee any um Social impact or social responsibility work, whose endeavor, what do we stand for? How do we use our platform, our access our resources to move forward important social issues? And then we also consult for any of our clients that are signed to the agencies with their WME or IMG. So any clients signed there, um, we help them use their platform to activate uh, social good or to make change, philanthropy, start foundations, anything that um, is important to them.
1: That's an amazing journey. No, I love it. I mean, you took uh, clearly a passion uh, for sports that you had since you were a kid and and parlayed it into a career and then used that career for social goods. So I would love to talk about that piece. Like you got to the NBA, you had your dream job, you were kind of, you know, rising in the ranks and then you decided to take this shift and say, hey, look, I want to use my powers and, and kind of, you know, we all know you're a boss, so you want to take that boss uh, ability and, and translate it into social good. So what made you kind of take that complete shift when you were at the league in your dream job?
2: Well, the way I tell you the story, it sounds so neat and organized and like it all made sense, but I'll tell you that many steps along the way it was not, like everyone said, it's not a straight line. Um, so it was not as clear as that made it sound. But for me actually where it started i always had a passion so i kind of alluded to it when i talked to you about my high school journey where i've always been very turned off by the tip just the way society was organized and who had access and resources and who didn't and who was there because their parents were paying for it and who uh was there for scholarship and the difference between that so i always had this really inherent like disgust i think with the injustice or inequity in society and always you know volunteered in high school or was part of clubs that worked against that. Um, So the social justice aspect has always been part of my life, but I think I probably turned it off a little bit in pursuit of this dream to be in the sports industry. And when I got to the MBA, I was in business development. And for anyone that knows that industry, Brandon, now you do a little bit too, um, it's a hustler's. In, it's a hustler's business, right? You find your niche, especially when you're young. So, what is the thing that you focus on that no one else is doing? How do you do some scrappy, cool deals that get some money, get your name known a little bit, so you can move up? So, my area was international. So, it was you know, this is now, oh gosh, like almost 12 years ago. So, the league, you know, Yao Ming had just been drafted. The league was really was popular in areas like China, but didn't have the global presence that you see now. Um, and so there was a lot of opportunity in places like Africa, like South America, Asia outside of China to do kind of these small, interesting partnerships. But when you think about it, you can't bring the game there, right? I mean, they have now at times, but in general, for the majority of the year, the only thing you can do, you can't bring players, you can't bring games, you have to think of what else is there. And what the league had was this amazing um, commitment to social responsibility. So you could do things like court builds, you could do junior NBA programs, um, you could bring over legends to work with youth. So that was kind of how I started to play with this idea of bringing revenue into communities through sport and through brand partnerships. So that was really where I, I kind of like had the light bulb moment, like, hey, like there's more to do here. Um, and then how I ended up getting to Seed Project was that the, the head of NBA Africa at the time, this man um, named Amadou Fall, he had started Seed Project years ago and was doing it kind of as his side you know side job or passion project but it hadn't necessarily been institutionalized or formalized yet so the opportunity came through just knowing the region um and wanting to spend more time in it and expressing that to him and um basically him and this um, other gentleman Noah Levine who Brandon knows kind of bringing me over and uh experiencing it that way so it was really that it was seeing the opportunity for social good through through sport and the ability to to generate funds for
0: that that kind of drew me to that career path. That's amazing I'm 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 so glad that you stuck with that and that you took that path and you you kind of touched on it but why was the seed project so important to you? There's
2: two there's two things one is I believe in human potential right that's you know everyone has their thing that or they're looking to find that thing that wakes them up in the morning that they want to go all in for and for mine it's making sure that everyone that has potential, that wants to use that to make their lives and their family lives better has that opportunity because they don't, frankly, right now. A quote I always use is, talent is equally distributed around the world, but opportunity is not. So for me, my, my thing is always, how do you create more opportunity? And that's what Seed was doing. It was finding these kids that were, yes, amazing at basketball, but also amazing people and using sport to give them that opportunity. So that was the first the first piece. The second piece was, um, oh, I was really interested in also changing the narrative around philanthropy. So when you look at especially international philanthropy, you have, you know, you have the picture of the kid in the slum with this fly on his face looking sad and then you feel sad and then you give money, right? It's this idea of charity where at that time, and there were a lot of, I wasn't the only one doing this, but there were a lot of organizations re-examining that paradigm. And I think the fact that you could use, you know, I've always loved basketball, playground basketball, youth basketball, basketball culture, sneakers, like every, the ecosystem around it. And these kids were such a great embodiment of that, that you never had to feel bad for them. In fact, you felt in awe of them. Like, I wish I was as cool as this kid. And like, instead of having him looking like so sad with his like, bad school books. You can show a picture from doing some like crazy move on the court and like joking around with his friends, talking about how cool he was. You go to Nike, you'd be like, no, you should give him, like, instead of sending your dope stuff to like influencers, send it to these kids, like we'll get you amazing content, et cetera. So I just, I was really passionate about this idea that we could change the way people thought about why you want to support an organization. Um, so those are the two reasons that I was really excited about Seed. And I guess one more is I think when you're looking at places that are you know, less developed or behind in development to the US, you have a chance to think about what did we do wrong and how can we change systems to make them better from the jump. So for me, I, you know, I'm pretty vocal about being, I'm not really for the, like the, the progression of elite athletes in the US, how do I say politically, isn't ideal right, the way it goes from like maybe AAU to NCAA, if you don't make it to the league, like what happens, right, like we know that there's just a culture of kind of taking student athletes and moving them outside of their communities in a lot of ways where they kind of get isolated and all they are is an athlete, right, once you're identified as a top prospect, that's all you are from the time that you're even 13 to your senior year of college. And what C let us do because we had all these grassroots programming was actually look at if we were to recreate youth basketball, what would we do? How would we recreate that system so that being exceptional at this sport actually redoubles your commitment to things like community, like social cause, like using the sport to be better, schoolwork, attendance, um, citizenship, which is kind of a buzzword here at the time. How do you use, how do you make being a star mean that you're more committed to that? rather than pulled apart from that system. So those three opportunities, I think, were what I was really most excited about.
1: That's all amazing stuff. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Seed Project, and I know you had a huge impact, and you, you were able to do deals with Nike and others and, and everything else. And obviously, this podcast is called The Work for a Reason, because it's all about the work that you put in, not just the words that you say or, or kind of putting out statements. So in, in terms of Seed Project, what were you most proud of after you left, kind of seeing the impact and the work that you were able to put in around it,
2: and in no way can I take credit for this, but it was the individuals that graduated out of the program, right? So when I say I don't want to take credit, like these are incredible people that we just happen to help give opportunities to. But and I think Brenda, you've had a chance to meet some of the alumni, but when you meet the students, especially the ones that went through the program and then went off to college, whether they ended up in the U.S. or they ended up playing overseas in places like Spain or France, or they um, stayed in Senegal. When you meet them, just meeting these individuals that have excelled so much um, on the court, but have really spent time and effort and dedicated themselves to growth yeah. off the court. Um, there's one alumni, for example, at Boubacar Casse, who lives in the U.S. now, but has this incredible dedication, goes back whenever he tend to Senegal, has built courts, made initiatives to donate back to seed. He now has chicken farms and businesses in Senegal himself. And this is someone that's, you know, in their 20s. And you think of that person of what they, what they use sport to do to create opportunity for themselves, That they're now reinvesting back in a community that really needs it. Um, that's, that was, that's what I'm very proud of, number one. Um, is, and there's so many stories. That was just one who I happened to just be talking to yesterday. But there's, there's so many stories like that. And the second thing is I think that we succeeded in the mission of building a brand that was a charity, it was a nonprofit, but it, what attracted people to it had nothing to do with being charitable. It had everything to do with being aligned with a mission, feeling a sense of pride of the students, and the young people that you were helping to serve, feeling privileged to be part of it. Um, we worked with an agency called Double and Cartwright, who was incredible and just built like an amazing look and feel. Um, So I'm just really proud of the imagery. We were able to raise money, we are able to sustain the program without ever making you feel bad or feel pity, uh, which is I think something that you can't say in philanthropy very often.
1: That's a fact, no, I love that, I love that. So I wanna shift gears a little bit to your time now at Endeavor, because I mean, you have a huge job, you're working across all the clients, across all the properties. Um, So maybe tell us a little bit more about what the past year looked like, right? 2020 was crazy for everybody. We had social unrest, social injustice. We had a historic movement in the NBA and WNBA and, and, and across sports. So what did that look like for you over the past year at Endeavor? And maybe what are a few of the things that you want to call out and give attention to?
2: Well, you also casually left out our global pandemic as one for of sure. the crazy That's moments, right. Dwight. About to forget. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was wild. I mean, it's so funny when I look back because we just you know, went through and, in the beginning of 2020, I had all my documents and all my strategies and my budget and all the things we were going to accomplish. And then literally come like March 13th, like ripped it up and had to move on. So I mean, it started out, I would say idealistic and then COVID hit. And I wouldn't actually say that it took away from my idealism because actually what was a really nice part about and how why I feel so fortunate in the role that I'm in is that all of a sudden there was this outpouring of just wanting to help. So for everybody that, especially our clients that had, you know, means and in a particularly privileged place in society, um, at least monetarily, they really wanted to use that to, to give back. So in a couple of ways, how do I use my talent to provide entertainment for people that are now stuck home? How do I raise funds? And for me, what I do is help them figure out where are your funds needed most, which is um, really nice to, to do, to be able to help match people with the greatest need. So that was, that was a really uplifting experience in a lot of ways, while I was simultaneously dealing with the hard part that we all were with friends and family and, and everything else going on during especially that early time. Um, then it was so interesting because we never even got to fully appreciate that moment of the outpouring of good for COVID the way I think as a society we, we may have, because we went straight into, there was Amy Cooper and there was George Floyd. And I and... Um, our chief inclusion officer Allison Williamson talked about this a lot, where it was the both of them happening at the same time, which is what I shook, what I think shook corporate America. Had it just been George Floyd and you know, the subsequent brutality that we saw or murders, et cetera, it may have lived in one piece, which as like, all right, here's the social cause portion of it. Let's change, let's combat injustice. But the fact that it happened with the Amy Cooper piece people started to look around and say, I know, you know, we may not have, a, you know, the person that will put their knee on the neck of a man for whatever amount of minutes, but in our, in our company or in our lives, but we may have some Amy goopers hanging. So I think that that's what really caused people to demand a response from the places where they worked and not just about the call for racial justice in our institutions, but inside of the company itself. And I think the dual, it was the first time that I've ever, because I deal with emergencies all the time, a hurricane here, or you know, a really terrible explosion here, or a species getting extinct here, whatever it is, you're dealing with things that are heightened of the moment. But this was the first time that we had to deal with it, both as an external issue, but then also as an internal call for change as well. And I think that's what really, you know, changed it for us in terms of making it just incredibly hectic, but created a supercharge where I think corporations actually did do some level of change, but also donated resources, support for the movement. So the last year to answer your question, I guess come back to the original question. It was, it's been crazy and busy, but I feel really positive about the work that institutions, some companies, not not all obviously, but some companies and especially individuals with power. Um, I mean, you saw with like LeBron, Naomi Osaka, like people really came into their own as advocates for themselves and their communities in a way that we've seen, but I think it really is at the next level and so much more accepted and maybe even now expected than we, we may have ever seen before.
0: Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more on the fact that it is, I do feel like it is expected now for a lot of these athletes. Um, And I think the support has also been overwhelming. Uh, When you talk about your role at Endeavor with the events of Amy Cooper and George Floyd, though, how do you feel like your role changed? I think
2: that, let's see, I'm not sure it changed so much as that it's, its role became heightened in in the company a little bit i think that the core responsibilities of of what i do are are very similar but i think that there's an increased urgency and i think there's accountability in a in a different way where we were we are always accountable to our you know to you report back right company philanthropy though usually kind of sits slightly separate than the general company itself, right? Like the ones that care pay attention and you see it in your annual report, but you don't necessarily like follow up on it all the time, right? It's like, a, it's I don't say a nice to have, but it's not something that it enters the mind of the average employee. But with this, and especially on the Black Lives Matter movement, there is high accountability from employees. They wanna know what are you doing? Not just what are you doing for me and people that look like me at this company, but what are you doing for people that look like me outside of this company? and is it authentic, is it real, and is it gonna make a change and tell me now. So I think that's how, that's how it changed a little bit in a way that it's, it's not terrible, right? People taking more agency, I think in general is, is important and helpful.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think all of us, especially black and brown people um, kind of saw that within their own companies, right? Something about how do we become more accountable? How do we make a change? How do we make an impact? So I'm just curious from your standpoint, because you're working in social good at a kind of a for-profit entity. Um, and you know, I think corporations are, have definitely stepped up their game in terms of making statements, in terms of making commitments. Um, but do you believe that you know, companies can really make an impact on, on social good? Do you believe that they can really be committed to it, you know, knowing that they have to hit the bottom line or, or do other things like that?
2: I mean, the reason I told you guys my career trajectory going from a, from a, the private sector, something like the MBA, to running 501c3, so more in the public sector, and then UNICEF, which is in the UN system, extremely like a public sector role. The reason I moved back into the private sector is because from those experiences on the ground in Senegal, um, and as part of a multilateral institution like UNICEF or the UN, I strongly believe that philanthropy is not going to make change. The only, cha- the only real change that's going to happen in this world, whether it be America or outside of it, is the way corporations act and the way that they uphold their values, their commitment to citizenry, the way they treat their employees, the way that they treat their supply chain, the way they think about the environment. Every important social issue to me, there's, it comes from two places. One is the, is the corporations and how they act. The second is the institutions. And now in this country, they're so closely linked. When I mean institutions, I mean your government, your state, your local, your federal government. Those are the two things to me, at least from my opinion, that really, really matter. And now corporations have so much influence on on the federal systems. So to me, the private sector is the only way to make change. And that's why I came in house because I fundamentally believe that. So to answer your question, Yes, they have the power and capability to. But I think what your real question is: Is there the will to really do that and exert that power to make change? And I think it's it's to be seen. But I do strongly believe that huge progress has been made, and can and incremental progress can be made every day. Um, for example, one thing that we started thinking about um, is just the makeup of our industry, right? Who is we look at the consumers of, of you know even you guys too, right? Um, of sports of fashion of of music of entertainment who are who's creating that but also who is who is consuming it and do these places look like the people that are that are doing that i think resoundingly everybody's kind of looked around and said probably not we can do better so one thing for example that even our company did that in you know it seems like a small step but i think has oversized impact is taking control of your pipeline so we created a program called Summer Series, which is basically an online program um, that I've, I've talked to you about it, Brandon, before, that where young people, college students who wouldn't have the opportunity to go to college that want to be in this industry, they could take online classes that our agents, our executives, our clients teach, and it teaches you about the industry, right? So that A, exposes young people to, um, to industries they may never have heard of or never knew what their role could be in it. They knew it was like sexy and cool, but they didn't know how to do it and then gives them tangible skills to access it. So again, that's a small a small example, but we see already through that program, I see so many people getting hired into roles that they never would have known about or thought about just by a company like ours, and that frankly does not cost a lot of money. It just is reframing and thinking, how do we take more control and how do we play a larger role and more responsibility for who's, not even for hiring, for who's applying. So I think it's companies expanding their view of their responsibility and making even what might seem small, but tangible steps to move, to move forward is, um, I think, how it's going to go and how we can see change over time.
0: That makes sense. And Ramala, I know we only have you for like one more minute, but you did touch on um, the summer series, and I know you've spearheaded a lot of cool fellowships. So I do want you to talk about um, the summer series with Michael B. Jordan and how it came about and how you really measure the success of that.
2: Yeah, so it happened so fast because what happened was we had launched, you mentioned the fellowship program. So that was just quickly as a program we did, we developed to ensure that or to create space for young people who wanted to enter sports, entertainment, and fashion but wanted to do it with a social impact or social justice lens. So wanted to come in and excel but make social good, make social change while they were here. So we you know, created the program, had the materials, launched it and then all of a sudden like boom we're out of the office we're not coming back anytime soon so we had to actually push that program back um now it's going to launch in the fall this fall but um in the process of doing that we were like hey if we're canceling this program we're canceling our summer internships how many other people are doing that and what does that really mean for an entire generation of people that want to be in this industry and maybe had a glimmer of hope of being in it they landed that Impossible to get internship at whatever company. Now they don't have it. Their work is taking school from home. Student debt is mounting. There's no jobs open. Like, will they stay in the industry? We don't know. And we already have such an uphill battle to fight to make sure this industry looks like all of us here that on the screen. So we are like, what can we do? So we had we quickly just kind of pivoted and went to Michael. Jordan who him and his team have had a really long-standing commitment to diversifying our industry and said hey because he has a set of fellows too that were all supposed to get internships that that many of them couldn't so we're like hey let's let's partner and let's create this online curriculum so that students can can learn because when you when you think about an internship it's this you learn some skills but what you really learn is soft skills and when you think about the difference between someone that grew up who's parents are executives or maybe they're uncles in the industry, upper middle class, went to a nice college, et cetera, right? Think of all the soft skills you get over the years without even thinking about it in terms of how to speak, how to shake hands, how to be impressive, how to be respectful to this type of person, right? And you think of someone that may have grown up in a totally different place, not in a post, maybe did not have the opportunity to go to college, et cetera. Maybe has one parent who works a blue collar job. What are all the things that they're not getting by happenstance, in terms of skill, soft skills, communication, negotiation, life advice here and there. So, or career advice here and there. So, we created this program to address the need to give students technical information, help, and then have them learn about the career so that they can enter the industry with a sense of agency of where they want to end up in it but then to so not feel like, oh, I'm so happy to be here. Like I'm just gonna be an assistant in the mail room. It's like, no, I, my dream is to be an executive at this type of company. And I'm here because I'm working my way to that. So that was one goal. Second goal was to create soft skills and give students opportunities to learn about these intangibles. So for example, Malcolm Gladwell spoke about passion and curiosity. We had Jay Shetty speak about mindfulness and grit. Ari Emanuel, our CEO spoke about um, going from an assistant to a CEO. So we had all these like very, oh, Varshawn Lynch spoke about, uh, it's called business and beast mode and all his businesses and why he created them. So it was a very cool curriculum. We did it over the summer. We had about 1,500 students participate. Um, We've already hired in the environment. We're not really hiring six people and dozens more gone on to get industry jobs. We're really excited um, about about the program and, and about that.
1: Absolutely love it. So so last question for you before we let you get out of here. Um, speak to the audience, um, you know, there's a lot of young people out there who are looking to get into impact or looking to kind of have a similar, similar trajectory and impact on the world that you're having. So what, what advice would you give to those young people uh, looking to get into your position one day?
2: I would say to really clarify what you're interested in. So not just, I want to do good, right? Like figure out what's your what's the thing that makes you tick? What's the thing that you wanna work really hard for? Is it the environment? Is it racial justice? Is it income inequality? Whatever it is, I think hone in on that. That's not saying that you don't learn about other issues, but I think having that passion and fire for what you want will one propel you, get you through the slog of the entry level years, which are rough for, for all of us, um, but then also making more interesting. Like if someone comes, in, comes to you and says, why do you want this job? Just saying, I wanna do good, isn't the right answer. It's saying, I'm passionate about a number of ways of doing good, but let me tell you about what I really care about. And having that talking
0: point and that clarity in your mind, I think will be invaluable. That's great. And then is, is there anything else that you wanna to say to the people or things that you want them to check out or even donate to or learn about or anything like that?
2: I would say if you are looking to enter the industry, follow at Endeavor Impact which is our page because we do because of the success of the summer series we've done other types of programming like this we have a ton coming up this summer um, and throughout the year so we can definitely I think it's a great place for anyone that wants to be part of the industry to a just like follow it like the intersection of entertainment and impact but then hopefully sign up for some programs so we could help you get into the pipeline for some of these jobs
0: awesome thank you so much Ramala that was awesome
1: appreciate you Thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: This week's work is to follow and check out Endeavor Impact. The Impact Fellowship is an opportunity to begin a full-time or internship role in the sports, entertainment, and fashion industries while making a difference in their communities.
1: And thanks as always for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on all your favorite platforms.